0: Hey there, welcome to another bonus edition of the Abundant Yoga Teacher Podcast. I thought today, you know, I, I've been studying the uh, Bhagavad Gita with my teacher these past couple of weeks and um, I have spent some time, not an expert, some time uh, with the teacher the text in which the Bhagavad Gita forms a portion, which is the Mahabharata, and we spoke about this earlier in the week. And I like Arjuna, right? I, I like him. I like his story. I like what he represents—the the, the um, dispirited hero or the the practitioner in a moment of existential crisis, the ethical dilemma, and and being available to receive the teachings. There's so much that I like about him and and what he symbolizes to us as a character. Uh, and and an archetype in in mytho- in mythology, but I thought you know I don't know that much about Krishna actually, um, and and in part that's because the, the yoga the the lineages that have brought me to this point in my own personal yoga journey have mostly been based on uh, Shiva you know their Shaivite traditions in in some form derivative form or another not Vaishnavite traditions I haven't spent a whole lot of time in learning from from those folks. A little bit, you know, you can't avoid it, a little bit with the Hare Krishnas. I remember chanting the Maha Mantra down the Royal Mile in Edinburgh. Super highlight for any yoga geek. (laughs) But you know, I don't know a whole lot about it. So I thought today, let's take a look at the birth story. I'm sorry, the cool way to say that now is the origin story. What the hell is that phrase? Currently very sexy, apparently, of Krishna and What can we learn from this? And in turn, I want to build on the challenge that I set for everybody on Monday, which is my five-part workshop series. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to that one first, because what I'm offering there is how you can use one story to create for yourself a series of events that would work in four or five different formats and not only create something that's going to be interesting to you and your students but also be really compelling and maybe act as a vehicle for you to take your teaching to other locations to break into new markets to reach out to different people etc so if you haven't listened to the um, panchamukha anjaneya episode yet which was the regular podcast episode this week go back listen to that one then come back listen to this one okay so um, here we go. So, so there was a guy <laughs> and a girl, <laughs> once upon a time, there was a guy and a girl who loved each other, got married. Actually, I don't know that they loved each other, but anyway, they got married. Um, Vastudeva, that name might be familiar if you chant much and, um, Devaki, that's the woman. And uh, whatever, they have a wedding, great, Uh, they get married, fabulous, and they're going back to uh, Vasudeva's place to, you know, do their marriage thing. And uh, as was custom, and maybe still is, hit me up if you know about this, uh, Devaki's brother drove them home because it's a lot, you know, you, you just got married, you've grown up in your family, and now you're, you're leaving your family to go become part of someone else's family, so a nice way to do that is to have your your brother drive you home, right, I've got you guys, jump in, I'll take you home. So that was what was going on, and because it was quite an auspicious wedding, um, lots of people came out to uh, wave them on, like Charles, Charles and Di, you know, everybody's standing along the roadside, not allowed to do that now, except of course for the Tour de France, it would seem, Weird. Uh, so that's all happening, and there's people out waving their uh, flags, and um, what else happened then? Waving their uh, memorial dinner plates. What was what is that about? Who, hit me up on Instagram if you own a Charles and Die commemorative dinner plate. My friend has one. Poor Die. God, who else can remember exactly where you were the moment that went down? I'm sure there's a yoga story analogy to be drawn there. But I digress. That's what you listen for. So anyway, uh, Vasudeva uh, at getting driven home by their brother. Turns out um, he was a bit of an asshole. What a surprise. And as they're driving home and everybody's out on the streets, so they're making a raucous, they're playing all of the instruments, it's really loud, there's drumming, there's all the things. All the things. And, um, oh, and, and here's something interesting. As part of, like, the dowry. Um... Vasudeva also got, like, thousands of oh, – he got uh, elephants all kitted out in sort of gold, pimped-out bling kind of stuff. Um, he got uh, – he anyway, he got all of this really great kit as a part of marrying Devaki. So that's all coming along as well, including, like, a lot of her girlfriends, like, lots of women as well. That's another story. And maybe – I don't know. Maybe we can – Explore some of those feminist themes at a future time. So, a whole bunch of virgins as well, lots of people in the motorcade, lots of people out on the streets making lots of noise, lots of musical instruments being played in celebration. But, uh, but, but Kamsa, the shitty brother, he hears amongst all of this raucous, he hears a message that he needs to be careful because uh his his sister's kid is going to kill him great how nice is that to know on your wedding day now your brother is freaking out because apparently your kid that hasn't been born yet um is going to kill him i mean i'd be freaked out if i knew that some divine message told me hey some baby's coming to get you boy that would scare me too the, the the prophecy said, they're going to have eight kids, one of them's going to kill you. Right, so Kamsa thinks, well, this is not a good idea, I need to talk this over, I'm not cool with one of your kids potentially coming to kill me, I thought I was just driving you guys home to get your marriage on, can we have a quick chat about this? And Vasudeva was a really good person, and he said, look, I get why you're freaked out. I understand if I was going to get killed by your baby, I would be freaked out too. Here's what we know for sure. So far, we don't have any babies. So there's no risk. No, you can take us home. We're not going to get you. It's not us that's coming for you. You don't have a problem because we don't have any kids yet, right? And comes, I was like, yeah, okay, i get you. All right. Well, come on, let's 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 get off home. So it was all okay for a little while, except, of course, bingo, bango, what do you know, Davicky up the duff, bun in the oven, you know what I'm talking about, preggers. As we say in Australia, you're welcome for the rest of the civilised world. <laughs> That's one of the phrases that we use here. She's preggers, she's up the duff, she's got a bun in the oven. So she did, and comes, I was like, man it's coming for me now. Fate is coming for me. The killer baby is coming for me. That sounds like a Stephen King movie. What am I going to do? I'm going to get got by this killer baby. So he gets Vasudeva and Devaki and he locks them up so that when she gives birth to this baby, he's going to be okay. That all comes to be. She had a successful killer baby pregnancy and, um, and Vasudeva decides that the best solution here is in fact to take this baby to Kamsar and say, look, we promise you this this is not an unholy baby. This is a, this is just a normal kid and it's all going to be okay. And you can trust us. And, um, so and and he hands the baby over, and so it comes. I think, oh, maybe these two are okay. They're they're sticking up to their commitments. You know, they're handing over the killer baby, so I can do what I want with it and stay safe. Maybe I don't need to worry so much. But then, of course, he has an evil advisor who doesn't have one of those. How many of those has Trump fired? Got to have a lot of evil advisors, apparently. If you're him. So the evil says, gets into his ear and starts talking to him about how, um, in fact, just because he says he's a good guy, like, you know, we don't, that's not how we roll. And I mean, I wouldn't trust you, man. So why would we trust anybody else? I think you need to get real with this situation and man up and uh, no more babies from Vasudeva and Devaki. Kamsar thinks, yeah, you're right. We're bad dudes. People are bad. Need to expect the worst of people. Okay. I'm going to kill all the babies. So the babies keep getting born because they're locked up. In fact, this was an interesting bit uh, when I was reading it in one particular text, the way that they describe the fact that poor Vasudeva and Devaki are locked. They're imprisoned. They're in cells. It's really bad. And poor old Devaki just has to have a kid every year. I mean, Vasudeva, I get it. It's boring. You're It's probably cold and wet in there in the cell. But seriously, man, if your wife has to have a kid every year just because you need to have sex to keep yourself interested while you're in prison, I mean, for real. Anyway, that's what happened. Devaki pushed one out every year until she got up to six. They all got killed because who knows which one's going to be the killer baby of all of the eight that are coming. So the number seven, thanks to us Vera, uh, this is where something interesting happens. Derviuke gets pregnant, seven, number seven, and this time the gods intervene and they take the baby, unborn baby, and they take it to another woman and they impregnate her with it, and she goes on to bear that kid. They're hoping to trick the numbers, right? Like if he doesn't know about number seven, if we get number seven raised somewhere else, then maybe when we have number eight, he'll think it's number seven. And maybe for number nine, we'll get to keep it. Who knows? But let's see if this works. And I think this is a great, you know, you could unpick this anecdote in and of itself about, I don't know, surrogacy, about IVF, about collective child raising. There's so much even just in that little portion that you could pull apart and use as a story for... What it is that you do, if you do fertility support, if you do kids' yoga, here's a great opportunity to talk about how families get made in all sorts of different ways and whatever your family looks like, it's a normal family. Um, there's, anyway, there's all sorts of ways that you could pick that apart if, if that's something that you work on. But anyway, for our intents and purposes, Bada bing bada bang, Deviki yes, pregnant again, but they're hoping that, that maybe this tricking of the numbers thing, maybe maybe the evil brother won't know, except here's the thing. That particular pregnancy was where she got impregnated with Krishna. Yep. Yeah. Krishna is one of the avatars of Vishnu. So you can imagine if you get pre impregnated by the gods and to that end, uh, because Vishnu was like above all of that human stuff, he didn't. Have, and I love in uh, one of the Iskon books that I have that book on Krishna that's um, got a foreword by George Harrison. Yes, there is Amy talking about George Harrison again, Jai the Beatles, um, because really we have to say thank you for what they did to bring yoga to all of us. Anyway, and the fact that they're the Beatles. So so she gets impregnated in a special way through the heart. <laughs> yeah, like that. Um, by vision, she, this, this baby that she's carrying is now divine. It's Krishna. And so you could imagine that most women, as I've heard it, I don't know, maybe it's an urban myth, there are some women who have this like glow when they're pregnant. Well, if you've been impregnated by God, you get more glow. And despite the fact that Devaki was doing everything she could to hide the fact that she was pregnant again and was about to get another, you know, child uh, uh, stolen and killed, she couldn't because she had this glow about her, which comes from having Krishna, I hate this word, in your womb. lots of womb womb talk (laughs) in this book. Anyway, so Kamsa's like, don't try and hide it. No one glows like that unless they've got God inside them. If you've got, if you've got the, you know, the, the if you've got the that energy in you, I can tell you can't hide that. So, so he decides. Well, he knows and he anticipates that it's going to be the killer baby because she's got this special glow and she looks different to all the other times. And he hasn't been killed yet by a killer baby, but maybe this is going to be the one. So the child is about to be born, and um, and just before the child is born, uh, Vasudeva has a, an apparition. He sees a, um, he sees, he has a vision. He is he, visited by God, which always makes me think of Moroni. How wonderful. There's another podcast for us in the future. Moroni appeared before him in the forest. Anyway, so, so Krishna, the yet-to-be-born Krishna, appeared before Vasudeva, the, I don't know, stepdad, whatever, but um, as, as he was about to be made manifest. But he appeared in a, in a, as a child rather than as a baby, and he had four hands, and in each hand he held a different item, and he also had a particular necklace, Gostuba stones. If you know, many Iskon folks, that's a good Iskon name, Gostuba. And I'm going to come back to these because this is how what I'm talking about now links into the challenge that I set you earlier in the week. He had a conch, a club, a disc, a lotus flower, and this one particular necklace. And I'm not going to do the whole Birth story, you get to go listen to more of this later uh, on your own or with me in uh, yoga and story. but for for right now, so so um, Vasudeva has this vision of how Krishna is going to be born, and he's like, holy God, like how is my wife going to birth that kid with all that shit? Like that's a lot of things to be holding on to uh, when you're born. He's got a concha club, a disco lotus flower, and a necklace of very shiny, very pretty stones. So he's having a little bit of a freak out about this. Uh, fortunately, fortunately, Krishna decides that it probably would be, um, better if he got born as a baby because Ali, uh, getting born as a kid, holding on to all of that stuff. Now what they think is they know at this point, after having the vision, Vasudeva knows that this is not just going to be any old kid. This is the kid that is going to, let's just say, have big influence in the world. So we can't let Kamsa get this one. We can't. We need to come up with a plan. So they discover that across across town there's another kid that's about to be born now there's a whole backstory about the fact that that kid was also divine but we're not going there for today anyway there's another kid across the river going to be born and it's going to be a girl so they do a switcheroo and they switch the girl baby with the boy baby so that Krishna is out of harm's way and he goes and gets raised by rabbit quotes normal people So again, if I want, coming back to what I mentioned briefly earlier, here's a great story to share with kids who have uh, families that aren't nuclear. Do they still even exist? Here's a kid, Krishna, he was an adopted kid. He was adopted out, man. His mum had a baby by someone who wasn't his dad, and they gave him up for adoption. That's what happened. No biggie. It's all good. Here's a good story. Good things can come. He turned out to be not only quite a good statesman, but apparently very good with the ladies. A lot at a time. Boonga booga. That happened. That's another story. So so Krishna gets saved from Kamsa because they switch him over. Again, interesting. They decide that it would be better to kill a girl baby than to kill a boy baby. But, you know, that but it turns out, like I said, the girl baby was also divine and she had her own powers and she, got, she didn't get killed by the bad brother and it all worked out okay. What I want to talk about in particular today, though, is the, the, the so hang on, let me summarize. That's the origin story of Krishna. How did he come to be a cowherd, which is what we often see, like a playful cowherd, stealing the saris from the women who are bathing, you know, doing all of the fun stuff. All of the playful Russell Leela stuff that Krishna is so famous for or the baby version of the the child version of Krishna is so famous for. How did that come to pass? How was he born to these farming folks? That's how. Because he was the child of a highly influential royal person, well, warring class person um, and mum and dad. Uh, But to save, spare him his life after getting a vision, knowing for sure that this was going to be the baby, they spirited him away, switched him out with another family's kid and he was raised by, rabbit quotes, normal people. And you can see, you know, throughout storytelling, how many stories can you think of when you were a kid or a teen of the story of like the prince or the princess who didn't realize until their late teens that they were in fact royalty, this is a really common storyline. Oh, look at me! I'm actually famous, or I'm actually super wealthy, or I'm actually a princess, or I'm actually a prince, and I was just raised as a normal person. And wowee, look what happened to me! You know, you could say. That's a little bit like Jesus's story. Whoa, what do you mean? I thought I just got born in a manger. Knew I got some cute gifts from some strange men at the start, but wow, look at me, son of God. There's a whole lot of stories that reflect this. I didn't know I was the chosen one. I didn't know I was, or everybody around me, I always knew, but everybody around me didn't know. Um, Krishna's adoptive parents start seeing some weird shit that start to suggest that maybe he's not just your average kid. That and the fact that he's blue never ceases to amaze me that these parents, these girlfriends, the wives in all of these Vishnu avatar situations don't kind of twig to, you know, uh, unless you've been drinking a lot of colloidal silver, I think something else is going on with you right now. But there you have it. They don't. So back to the point here. If you are interested in accepting my challenge and looking at how can I build out for myself a five-part workshop series that can be converted to an e-course, a retreat, a, you know, a weekend workshop, five consecutive classes, let's look at what Krishna in the vision to Vasudeva actually had in his hands. And in like I said in the template for how to do this five-part workshop, you can then go build out your classes based on these themes. So the first one is about, um, it, the, let's start with the conch. As with all of these symbols, you can take them in so many different ways. But one of the things I love about the conch, it's, you know, you get, it gets, uh, blown. It's a, used as a, like a trumpet, I suppose, um, they talk about it at the start of the book of There's quite a portion of uh text about all the different conches that get blown at the start of the battle and all each conch has a different name and a different story behind it and there's a lot of conch talk anyway. there's a bunch of things that the Conch represents, but one of the things that I like is that it represents um it represents. Vishnu's original conveyance of the Beej Mantra om The first time that it was chanted, it was, or, or, sorry, not chanted, uh, manifested, was by the blowing of the conch. So if you're going to teach a workshop based on these five elements, what a great place to start. Let's start with the conch and what does it mean? And it means, one of its meanings is the original vehicle through which the primordial sound was conveyed, Om. So, I mean, I don't know about you, but most students don't know much about that beach. They don't know much about what Aum is. It's become somewhat of a, namaste, I'm so spiritual, Um, you know, a a bit of a a symbol for a whole lot of other things that probably it's not. Do people know how to chant it? Do they chant it it, for the right duration? Do they experience the right sort of... um, Feeling in the sinuses, whatnot, when they do chant it is do you break it up into three parts? Do you maybe for you know your lineage it's slightly different? But here's already class number one of five. Let's use the conch as the symbol and let's talk about how it can be interpreted as a symbol for ohm. Great way to start. Then let's talk about the um. The, the discus. The, the It's a weapon. It's a circular weapon. And um, again, it can represent gasquillions of things. But let's talk about it for right now, as an example, as a symbol of the form of the mind. It represents the mind, the spinning, the um, power of the mind, the, uh, the way that the mind can be used or tamed. Um, and so here, for example, you could Uh, obviously you could also interpret it as like the, uh, like the chakra, like, you know, like the, 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 um, the spinning disc, the, 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 wheel in that sense chakra, um, and you could take it off in that direction. So if you, let's say you decide to use it as a symbol of the mind, then maybe it's portion number two of your five portions is about, I don't know, meditation, or maybe you want to launch right into your yoga asana. You're more of an intense person. Shit. Let's go to town and take chakrasana as your peak pose. For this class again, so many ways that you could break this down. Next, I want to talk about the um, the, the 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 club. So it's like a um, club is a stupid. It's like the mace, you know, the weapon that Hanuman has has the. It's got a, and I think beam are the same. The big ball on the end, and it's a striking weapon, hand to hand combat striking weapon, um, and uh, and and this is a representation of strength. So, maybe you want to pull that out in terms of all of the warrior poses. Maybe you want to teach a class here about all of the standing warrior poses, or all of the maybe you want to take it into inversions or arm balances and really play out the strength element. Maybe you want to use the strength training portion three of five to build up body awareness for what's coming next. So, the the um mace, the the club here. Um, you could interpret that in a whole lot of ways. I mean, you could you could go sideways and talk about how Hanuman had one, and what does that mean? Uh, uh, lots of lots of the other characters have one of these as their primary weapon. You could, in fact, tell one of their stories and make the connection through this representation. the th- The fourth thing, of course, is the um, lotus. So uh, this is a symbol of purity it's a symbol of transcendence you know the um uh the 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 metaphor of the the lotus growing up through the mud you again this might be meditation for you it might be refinement for you shit you could teach a hip opening seated forwards bent seated forward bends class go for padmasana or variations thereof And then leading into a seated meditation. If we're talking a 90 minute class, there's so much that you could do to work up to a Padmasana, potential Padmasana, and then move into seated meditation, not necessarily in lotus. Um, Again, so many things that you could do here to build a class around the symbol of the lotus flower. And then the last one, there are lots of Krishna symbols, but I've just picked these five. The last one is about those that necklace <clears throat> and about the um, the meaning of what those particular stones are, and I like the idea of these stones um, representing that sort of um, Sarah Powell's favourite word that tejas say that Tejas, that sparkling divine brilliant luminosity um, and the uh, you know consciousness shining through everything and what a incredibly powerful symbol to finish out a, a workshop if this is your final day of retreat and you're teaching a class that helps people celebrate their uh their own divine luminosity their own um you know their own representation of the divine as manifest um what talk about a high note to finish up a weekend workshop if what you're going for is pure consciousness and, and how that manifests as us in human form. You could do all sorts of fun things here. I kind of like the idea of teaching something that's really sweaty and intense. I know for me, there's nothing like overcoming feeling like I've sort of conquered an intense vinyasa, the, the bar that you get at the end of that, it makes you feel connected when you're doing some kind of really synced up flow where everyone in the room is breathing at the same pace and doing the same movement and it's really intense and it's incredibly uplifting, there is something in that that makes everybody feel united and it's something in that that I feel personally is transcendent, you know, reminds you of the macro and the microcosm and and the interconnectedness of all things. And talk about, like I said, what a way to finish up a weekend, what a way to finish the final day of your retreat Um, what a way to finish the last day of your e-course, super powerful symbol. So I'm going to keep this one short because it's a bonus, but I wanted to check in with everybody who is doing that, who has accepted the challenge that I put down on Monday to think about what could, what could a five-part model that's based on story and philosophy, so mythology and philosophy, what could that look like for me, and how could I offer it up so that I'm challenging myself to be a better teacher, I'm getting to explore potentially parts of my um, yoga learning that I haven't gone into much depth yet, I'm creating something that no one else is doing, so it's going to be really compelling, and I know that once I've generated this intellectual property, once I've found a story that I like, broken it down into five parts, mapped those past parts across asana sequence or meditation or pranayama or whatever you teach. Now I have a piece of intellectual property that I can break down into multiple formats, continue to re-offer and offer it in other places as part of my sort of signature workshop series. What's cool about the signature workshop series idea too, yeah, sure, you can run it over a weekend, Friday night, Saturday morning Saturday afternoon Sunday morning Sunday afternoon but you can also offer it as like an a la carte menu so you could teach what i've just described people could then say if they want to host you at their studio but they've never met you before they don't know if people will like you maybe they just want to buy two items off your menu and so they're going to pick yeah okay we like the we like the Krishna situation we would like to offer the uh, flow sequence because our people like flow and we would also like to then offer the club sequence or the mace sequence because we don't get much alignment here and maybe it'll be cool to break down some of those Vera poses with a little more awareness and detail so that our practitioners can be safe and strong when they come back to the mat for power flow next week and they just pick those two and that works. So uh, that's what I wanted to talk about today. Krishna, his origin story and how um, that in itself has got so many beautiful teachings in terms of oh, survival, family legacy, parenting, what makes a family, so many good things in there but specifically for us and what we're working on this week how the symbols of Krishna, so we're not even talking about sub-stories here, we're simply talking about the stuff he was holding in his hands when he appeared in a vision to Vasudeva. <laughs> how they could be beautifully built out to make a very inspiring and exciting five-part series. So DM me on Insta if you're doing this challenge, what's your story and how are you breaking it down? And if you want to know more about how I do this, how you can do this, where you find stories, how you pull them apart, how you retell them in a way that makes sense for your brand, how you then build out those stories with um, the philosophy elements overlaid, plus what that looks like in terms of asana or pranayama or meditation. You need to make sure that you're signed up for yoga and story. Registrations close on Sunday. So if you're not in yet, you do need to get yourself signed up. Uh, a super beautiful group of people are already in the Facebook group and they're doing their getting to know each other in there. Uh, it's, it's lovely to see some faces I haven't seen for a while and also some brand new faces. So a great collection of yoga nerds. And if you want to join us, we would absolutely love to have you. So if you're not signed up for Yoga and Story yet, go get yourself signed up at amymcdonald.com.au forward slash story the link is also in the episode notes importantly that's six um, satsang six conversations group conversations lecture plus chitty chatty plus a bit of workshopping stuff uh six of those oh uh, one a week for six weeks no homework unless you want to um and no homework unless you're sorry sorry we had a brief moment of what uh, importantly about that course, it's never going to be the same again. So if you are feeling that this might be something that you want to do, you do need to get yourself signed up. There is a payment plan too. So for people who want to pay it week by week, I've set that up for you. It's $49.50 Australian a week. So that's a two hour workshop for $49.50. It's a sweet deal. Get yourself in if you know this is for you, au forward slash story. Registrations close on Sunday. Meanwhile, if you're going to accept my four-part workshop series, sorry, five-part workshop series challenge, uh, let me know what you're working on. Hit me up on Insta at AmyYogaBizCoach. Take care, everybody. Thanks for uh, listening into this special bonus edition